What's working on purpose anyway? Each week we ponder the answer to this question. People ache for meaning and purpose at work, to contribute their talents passionately and know their lives really matter. They crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential. Business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want, working on purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. If you don't know me yet, I'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, organizational logotherapist, inspirational speaker, social scientist, and author. You can learn more about me at elisecortez.com or gusto-now.com. Let me, th- let me thank my partner and sponsor, Work Proud. We are a perfect collaboration. Everyone wants to know they matter and that the work they do is meaningful and appreciated. WorkProud is a mobile platform built to encourage employees to share stories and recognize each other's contribution. WorkProud empowers HR and business leaders to help create company cultures where all employees are inspired to feel proud of their work and proud of their company. Learn more at WorkProud.com. With us today is Swati Thiagarajan. She's an Indian conservationist, documentary filmmaker, and environmental journalist. She's a core member of the Sea Change Project in South Africa, an environmental editor at the Indian television news network of NDTV. She is the author of the book, Born Wild, Journeys into the Wild Hearts of India and Africa. She is the associate producer of the Oscar-winning documentary, My Octopus Teacher, and also produced The Animal Communicator, featuring Anna Breitenbach, who is an interspecies communicator. We'll be talking today about the work she does as a conservationist, film producer, and author. She joins us today from Cape Town, South Africa, Swati Vanakam. Welcome to Working on Purpose. Thank you very much for having me, Elise. It's, it's great to be on. Thank you. And um, is your first language Tamil or Hindi? Well, actually English. Um, Although I grew up in India, um, my whole education system was pretty much from the beginning. It was in English. Um, Tamil is my mother tongue, so I do speak it. Uh, But even at home, for most part, my parents and I spoke English um, and occasionally sort of fell into Tamil. And Hindi uh, being the, you know, sort of the predominant language in Delhi. um, So when I moved to Delhi, I sort of learn to speak it plus it's taught to us in schools um i can't claim great proficiency in it but yeah enough to communicate Mm, it's so beautiful i learned about 25 words of tamil when i was in india in 2014 so knowing a little bit about your background i just had to have at least at least a word in there for it so (laughs) thank you for indulging me um so so was very well said Thank you. Thank you. I love that word. So it is so beautifully welcoming the way it's said and I receive it as such. So I'm glad that you caught it the way I meant it. Um, So to situate this conversation for our listeners, um, I want you to all understand that I'm originally from Oregon, which is a state that's known for environmentalism. I, of course, live here in Texas, but I also had the opportunity in 1992 when I was living in Rio de Janeiro to be part of the 92 Rio Earth Summit that the United Nations Conference on Environmental and Development had put, had convened. And I got to see nations from all over the world come together and work on this notion of how do we uh, how do we address the problems of the environment? So at the time I was doing my master's degree and so I focused my, my thesis on the political, economic and social factors contributing to the Amazon, Amazonian deforestation. So 
I do certainly care about the environment and sustainability in the world. And I also really care about consciousness, which is how I want to situate this conversation. So with that, Swati, that's one of the many reasons I wanted to have you on. I got so much from the various works that you've done in the world already. I'm thrilled to have you. Thank you so much, Elise. It's great to be on. So when I'm out speaking to, to audiences, Swati, so often I, I pose the question to the audiences, what will you do with your one precious life? And as I really got present to the work that you're doing in the world, it really strikes me, you are really doing something with your one precious life. You have at least, I would guess, another 50 years in you, and you've already done so much. And, and so what I'm interested in knowing is, what are you pouring yourself in today? What do you really stand for? What do you really care about today? So um, right now at present, I work, I'm still a conservation journalist. That's who I've been from the beginning. That's the foundation of everything that I do. Uh, but I have, you know, worn different hats. I've been an author. Um, I've been a documentary filmmaker. But right now I work uh, for the Sea Change Project. And uh, the Sea Change Project is a not-for-profit organization. It um, essentially works for ocean conservation, essentially for the long-term conservation of the Great African Sea Forest, which is the wonderful habitat uh, that is showcased in the film My Octopus Teacher. So our big first step as the Sea Change Project was to firstly come to the realization that people, not just around the world, but in Cape Town, did not really know what the kelp forest was all about or what it was even like. Um, and so that there was a lack of awareness. There's not that much science around kelp forest, few fantastic scientists working, but not made that public. Um, and for us, the Great African Sea Forest, which is what we've named our kelp forest, which is right here, this unbelievable wilderness on our doorstep, inspires us every day. We're in the water every day. There's all these extraordinary animals, this extraordinary ecosystem. It's, it's like an underwater forest. You know, Think of a forest on land with all the animals and birds and imagine it filled with water. That is exactly what the Great African Sea Forest is beneath the waves. Uh, so that's what Sea Change is focused on um, working on. We're also working towards a global alliance to try and bring attention to kelp forests around the world. So that's uh, the sort of uh, trajectory I'm on right now. Mm, it's so beautiful. I definitely got very present to that by watching My Octopus Teacher eight times, by the way. And I keep going back because there's just so much more to learn from it. And I will continue to watch it. And I keep telling everybody who will listen to me, you need to watch this film. Um, it's amazing. But I want to start first with your book, um, Swati. It's it's so beautiful. And well, I loved how you wrote uh, about each of the chapters and starting with the, you know, the, 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 the core predator. But you wrote chapters on tigers, lions and leopards. And by the way, leopards have always been incredibly alluring to me. They're just so graceful and strong and intelligent. And I just loved how you really brought us into them to understand them. It was beautiful. And I also, of course, being who I am, I'm, I'm, I'm a social scientist and a meaning and work researcher. And I love how you feature your uncle Siddharth and your father as your early initiators of your, of your love and stewarding of nature. And so to me, it really showcases the powerful route through which we can find our purpose early in our life through our passion and people who will help us nurture that. But I'm only deducing here that this is actually your purpose. You may actually say it differently. How do you consider, what, how would you articulate your purpose? So um, I was very lucky that uh, that my father took the time to spend that much time with me in wilderness and his best friend, who was an ornithologist, uh, my uncle Siddharth, um, 
took so much time to spend with me, you know, taking me into the wild. And it was really between the two of them that I learned um, how to be happy in the wild and learned that that is my original home, that that is the home that I belong to, that all of us belong to. And and it was such a uh, defining, uh, inspiring, joyous thing for me as a child. And that's what's sort of driven me um, all this while. So if I have a purpose, it would possibly be to be able to share with people uh, just how much joy and purpose and passion nature actually brings uh, to each of us and what it means to be uh, deeply immersed or reconnected uh, with nature in a meaningful way. And I think that today, um, especially in the world that we live in, um, sort of in this urban environment, sort of surrounded by technology, um, sort of, you know, trapped in our these fast-paced lives where we're just trying to get ahead and do things and everything is commercial and capitalistic. And, you know, it's all about getting ahead and getting ahead and getting ahead, I think we've kind of forgotten that we are the human animal, that we are nature, and that this biosphere is our home, and that everything that we think we're so clever about, all this technology that we've created, these systems that we've built, these uh, belief systems in terms of faith and philosophy that we've created, the definitions we give ourselves, all of it is built on a foundation of nature because that is who we are. And for me, um, the amount of peace and well-being, um, good health, uh, mental well-being, uh, just joy and inspiration and hope that nature gives me every single day. Um, I, you know, to me, it's very important to be able to share that with people in order to at least get people to look around at the world around them, even if it's just 20 minutes to 30 minutes a week even, uh, but to have that much meaningful connection with that world that birthed you, um, that's, that actually uh, nurtures you right now. And the only reason that we survive, you know, every bit of air that we breathe, every bit of food that we eat, every sip of water that we take comes from the natural world around us. Um, and to kind of understand that very primal connection that we have with nature. So I would say that that would be my purpose is to be able to always sort of tell these stories so more people can really um, reach out and reconnect uh, in a big way. Mm, yeah, it is profoundly beautiful, Swati. And you know, in the work that I do, helping people to recognize that through our unique lens of purpose, we can see things and do things that no one else can see or do. And it really, I really so see how really focused your perspective, your lens is on the world that opens something really special and dynamic, certainly in me, which is why I, I wanted to have you on the on the program and share with you, share you with my listeners across the world. You have a very, very specific lens that has been developed over the course of your life that is really specific and it opens something for the rest of us that we couldn't do without you. Well, I, I you know, to me, it's kind of like, um, I don't know if I did it consciously. So it's not like I woke up one morning and realized that uh, this is what's important and this is what I had to do. As I said, I was very, very lucky that it flowed organically because before I could define many other things, I knew nature. I was all of three uh, or even maybe younger when I started being taken out into nature. And, and I think that is also very key. It's, it's you know, getting children um, to into nature, to get children to understand how important this world is um, around them. Because 
You know, every child, and I say this all the time, every single child that is born in this planet is born wild. That's why I call my show Born Wild. We are all born wild. And that act of birthing, uh, we are as wild as any wild animal that is born. Uh, you could be born in a hospital. Technology could help your mother deliver you. You could even be a baby formed in a test tube. It doesn't matter. The birthing process is one of the wildest processes that there still are. And when you come out as that baby, you're as wild as anything else. It's life. And it's the rules that we've made. And it's the roles that we choose uh, that domesticates us in a sense and takes that wildness away. And I think that's such a loss uh, to who we are as humans. And I think it's this great uh, nature disconnect. Uh, some great authors have called it the sort of the nature deficiency uh, disorder. You know, um, I find that that is perhaps one of the biggest reasons for why as humans today across the board, across the planet, uh, there is so much fracture, so much anxiety, so much depression, um, so much uncertainty, fear. Uh, it's because we've lost sight of what is our original design. Um, this, this beautiful feedback loop that we had with this wild world around us, a world that basically opened up and said, you belong. This is your home. You know, um, it's like the philosopher Jay Krishnamurti who influenced me in Rishi Valley and then through my life, because as you would have read in the book, my father and Uncle Siddharth were also very much into the Krishnamurti philosophy. One of the very profound things that he talks about is how the fundamentals of violence, for example, starts in the way we define ourselves. So the minute I stand up and I say, I'm an Indian woman, uh, Hindu, uh, you know, um, doing this or doing that or of brown skin and all of it, all that language is the precursor to violence. Because when I'm doing that, what I'm doing is I'm othering everything else that is out there in the world. And the minute that othering begins, the violence begins. And, and Krishnanji would always say that that kind of definition and, and holding on to identity and having a needing that identity came from this disconnect that we have with nature. Because if one thing nature teaches you is that we're all children of this planet. We're all born wild. It doesn't matter what race, what religion, what creed, what philosophy, what caste, what country, anything that we belong to. We are phylum chordata, class mammalia, kingdom animalia. We are the human animal. So no nation states, no nation borders, no color, caste, race, nothing. Nobody can tell you that you do not belong because you belong. This is your home. You are nature. And I think that very, very strong fundamental essence that you get, that sense of deep belonging that gives you such a foundation and roots. Um, I think it's incredibly crucial to have that. And, and, and it worries me uh, when children today don't have that. And certainly adults uh, don't seem to take the time out uh, to look for it. Mm -hmm. Me as well, which is a big reason I wanted to have you on, Swati. Time for a short break. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Swati Theogarajan. She's a conservationist, documentary filmmaker, and environmental journalist. We've been talking a bit about how she got into this conservationist space. After the break, we're going to learn more about her documentary, The Animal Communicator, and also her book, Born Wild. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining the program, my guest is Swati Thiagarajan. She's a conservationist, documentary filmmaker, environmental journalist. She is the associate producer of the Oscar-winning documentary, My Octopus Teacher, and also produced The Animal Communicator, featuring Anna Breitenbach, who is an interspecies communicator. She joins today from Cape Town, South Africa. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So as we continue on here, Swati, this is such a great conversation, exactly what I wanted, by the way. I want to present some of the things that you that I got from your book, because as you know, I read it cover to cover. I take great notes. But one of the things that I that I took from it that I thought was so crisp is something that you wrote eloquently about your uncle, Siddharth, who said toward the near of his, of his end, he said, nature is not for the faint of heart. It is for those who want their hearts filled, shaken, and changed. That is so beautiful. Yeah, um, he would always tell me that um, looking at nature was sort of like understanding yourself a lot better. Um, so that uh, connection loop is incredibly important. And the reason why he would say that it's not for the faint of heart is because, as I said, when you're in nature and you spend the kind of uh, immersive time uh, in nature in a meaningful way, it kind of holds up a mirror to who you are. So firstly, you have to acknowledge who you are. You see a lot of things that you may not have seen clearly. So there could be preconceived notions about yourself that will change, preconceived notions about the world that will change, preconceived notions that you have about other people in the world that will change. Um, because what nature shows you is you in your rawest form and life in its rawest form. And the fact that Life is precious and it's beautiful and it's everywhere and that everything is part of this one big throbbing source of life, which means we're all connected and we're all one. And if in your head you've had notions of individualism or um, you have notions of as people might in terms of how they're indoctrinated, in terms of thinking their religion is better than someone else's or their belief system is better than someone else's or that their race is more superior or that what they're doing is more important or any of that, um, nature will shatter that, those illusions because in the face of nature, all you are is just yet another being um, in this massive web that comes together to form life. And so it's really... So that's what he used to mean by not for the faint of heart. It was almost like, can you stand up and find your truth? And, uh, you know, can you find your original truth? And the way to find your original truth is by being in nature a lot. And the other thing nature does is when you spend time in nature, 
when you feel life all around you and you see life all around you you see birth you see death you see hunting you see growth you see new leaves you see new plants you see dying trees you see a baby bird being born so much happening all around you it fills you with hope it also fills you with a deep sense of connection and empathy and once that empathy is awakened in you it's the connection is not you don't just feel it for the animals in the wild or the natural systems but you start feeling it for fellow human beings and that empathy just flows it's natural it just that is something that nature gives you and i think that that's what he meant by your heart being shaken and opened and changed and challenged um so it's a kind of courage to be able to step into those spaces um and say that you know you you want that change you want to open yourself up for that yeah oh that was so much better than what i just took from the book thank you for adding that in there's one of that was gorgeous that whole other level there for me um and you're right you know one of the reasons i i wanted to to have you on uh, is because i i do feel i share your sentiment that people are missing the opportunity to connect with nature and they're missing that essential feedback mechanism and that sense that they're part of something much bigger than themselves um so this notion of reconnecting is important you do that all across your life and all your 20 plus years experiences at at, at indie tv um but for those of us who don't have that spigot immediately available to you the backyard that you live in for example um what kind of a perspective what would you offer to the rest of us who are living in these cement cities um what is astonishing firstly is to understand that even if you're living in a cement city and you're trapped between four walls um all the air that you're breathing is still coming from the fact that there is a biodiverse ecosystem out there that's created this biosphere that enables for you to breathe that enables you to live um all the food that comes into your house it's produced by insects and bees and butterflies and birds and uh, little animals that go around spreading seeds and you know um allowing for for agriculture to thrive allowing for fruits to thrive vegetables whatever it is that you eat it's all coming from the natural world even if you're opening a tap for water it's not invented by the tap it's not invented by technology that water is coming uh from this planet around you you know and that water what it, what i love about water is when it rains for example every time it rains what it reminds me of is the fact that and this i mean living in a city you can step out of your house and still feel and see rain and 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 next time you feel rain just think that this is not new water it's not new water that is falling out of the sky it's the same water that has existed since the formation of this earth when the gases cooled and they became the oceans it is evaporation from the oceans that feeds the lakes and rivers that goes back into the sea it's this eternal cycle of water so when that raindrop hits you it's the same raindrop that could have hit a dinosaur and gone down its neck it's the same uh water drop that could fall or be exhaled out by a blue whale it's the same water drop uh that would you know could have fallen down ancient plants and leaves millions of years in the past even before humans or human like species were uh, we weren't even planned uh by nature or by the planet at that time but it's the same water that is how in intrinsic and interconnected we it, the whole system is so to just even understand that and then you'll be surprised uh when you decide to do anything that takes a little bit of thinking and a little bit of meaningful practice just how much nature there actually is and what we think is a concrete um city around us um you know there's still trees in parts of the city there's still green areas in parts of the city 
even if it's just one tree in your neighborhood, that tree is still drawing water out of the soil that it's stuck in. It's still growing. The leaves are still reaching out to the sky. It is still photosynthesizing. It is still converting carbon into oxygen. Um, you know, it could be an evergreen tree, which means it's you know, in the middle of winter, it could still be green or it could be a deciduous tree. And maybe you noticed in the fall that it, the colors, the leaves change color and that in winter it drops all of its leaves. You get to know the life of this tree and maybe watching that tree allows you to see what birds uh, come to that tree or what insects go up and down the tree trunk or what lives in the soil uh, that the tree is uh, standing in. So once that you open yourself up to that and you start sort of really looking at life around you and not separate to you, seeing that you are part of that life around you, um, automatically when that curiosity gets kindled, then slowly you'll find yourself seeking more. So the spigot in a sense would be that open up that curiosity, you know, turn that on for yourself, find it. So it, to me, it's distressing that children today will recognize or see more cars in one lifetime than they will animals. Uh, children will recognize five brands more, you know, better than they will five birds. Um, children will recognize five celebrities uh, more than they will five plants or five, uh, you know, anything that's natural around them. So what if that became the challenge? What if for the next year you decided to find five trees in your city, five plants in your city, five birds in your city, five insects in your city, five animals in your city. Because suddenly your city will, what you've always thought of as home will be so much more than just home, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, because all of this is what becomes or adds to what makes you feel like you belong. Uh, no matter where you are, where you could have come from or where you could have settled down. It's that, it's that rec deep recognition that makes you feel like you belong. So it's that, it's it's making that effort. It does take a little bit of effort. It, you know, you can't just, even for me, I may have been taken into nature as a child and I was very, very privileged and lucky that that happened. I'm still very privileged and lucky that I have this wilderness on my doorstep. I completely understand there are people around the world um, who struggle for so much from, you know, just putting food on the table for their children all the way through to keeping jobs or losing jobs or livelihoods. And I understand that it's a massive, massive challenge. And it's so much easier for me to talk about these things because I don't have those challenges and I'm completely aware of that and respectful of that and I understand the privilege that allows me to be saying these things but even within that challenge for your own self for your own mental spiritual and physical well-being um, take that curiosity take that time take that mindfulness because it's incredibly incredibly important mm -hmm. oh Swati I was going to actually read something from your book because I think that what you write is so eloquent and so artistic and so colorful but the way you just spoke is the way you write so never mind I'm not going to read anything it's just you already said it out loud it's beautiful um, thank you well, I you're welcome you're welcome so great to have you here so I want to talk next something about something you write in your book that I think is it's astoundingly important to talk about and this is something that you talk about in a great lesson that you learned through the sloth bears and the temptation to make the other the problem. I think this is so important. And so if if you would, if you will share with us the dilemma of conservation and distinguished lifestyle from livelihood and when it comes to involving the locals, especially in conservation efforts. So um, one of the 
sort of I find the big tragedies, I would say, in the modern world that we live in is what I call actually what other scholars have called and I and I especially love love the word it's it's an epistemicide so it starts there we've kind of mm. murdered in a sense indigenous knowledge and indigenous wisdoms we are so caught up in how our education works and how we are modern thinking humans and how our science works and all of this we think everything we're talking about is some modern new discovery when actually all of it is rooted and embedded in deep indigenous wisdoms and i think that not crediting those indigenous wisdoms discrediting um indigenous lives um livelihoods belief systems um has to, to great detriment uh really i feel to human progress to the way we live actually and, and what we're doing uh to our to the world around us that sustains us so that's that would be the that that is something that um always i keep in mind so when i um, in India, especially when I spend time in wilderness and I spend time with a lot of our tribal communities and I spend time with a lot of local, very, very uh, poor communities uh, that seem to, from my very privileged, uh, educated lifestyle, seem to be leading a primitive life in a sense or a cruel life. Because if you take the sloth bears, as I spoke about, it's a group of people, uh, one community called the Kalandars, who use these bears as dancing bears. And they would, um, you know, make these bears dance. And it was ironically tourists from around the world who would watch these dancing bears and put money in the hat, if you will. And um, it's, a, it's a very difficult life for the bears because a lot of them are removed from their mothers when they're cubs from the wild. So it's a kind of poaching. Um, then they are taken into these human households and because they grow to become really big animals that can be quite aggressive and violent, uh, their teeth get taken out, their claws get cut. Um, the rope that's in their nose is like a wound that never heals. So when the rope is in there and they tug on that rope, the pain actually makes them respond. So they're dancing because they're being handled by that rope. Uh, but at this, so from, from you know, just by, if, when I'm saying all of this, I'm sure for a lot of people, they're thinking, oh my God, that sounds horrible. It sounds like the animal is being tortured. Um, and you know, how can this practice be? Um, and, and that's what I thought when I initially saw it. It was when I spent time with the family and the whole perspective flipped because I saw the elderly gentleman of the family share his food with his bear. And I knew that that family was pretty much going hungry three times a day and they barely had had any food to feed themselves and whatever they had they shared with their bear they love that bear in their own way in my very comfortable life the way i will look after my dog you know for me everything that's happening to the bear is horrible but their lives are so hard so challenging so cruel in a in in, in a human way that the capacity that they have to love the bear has to be seen from that level of survival. Um, so they're not inherently cruel. They don't plan to be, uh, you know, uh, hurting that animal. They'll be shocked if you tell them that you think that they're being cruel um, to their animal. Um, and, and, and I can attest to that only because the minute these this community had the opportunity to give up their bears for a better life, uh, where they could then start some other profession and they could send their children to school and they could uh, potentially come out of this 400-year tradition of having dancing bears. Most of them voluntarily handed in their bears to that better life so that they could do something else. Because when you can't feed your child, it's 
very, very difficult to think beyond that. It's very easy for me to point my finger and go, oh, this person is exploiting the environment in this way, or, or that person is cutting trees down, or, or this person is doing that. But that's because I don't have to worry about my next meal. There are communities around the world whose entire survival comes down to what they have to do. And that is what I call a livelihood challenge. My life, which I think I'm so compassionate and I'm so kind and I feel so badly for all of these animals, my life is the lifestyle challenge. And it's my life that's caused 80% of the problems on this planet. The roads that we build, the linear projects through forests, the habitat that we've cleared, the steel and mine that we uh, mine for, the coal that we mine for, the electricity that we use, the flying around the world that we do, um, you know, the, the way that we eat food that could be flown from thousands of miles away and packaged in terrible packaging that comes to me just because it's convenient and I'm not going to look for an alternative. Um, you know, all of this stuff, all the technology that I use that is powered by batteries that uses rare metals that come from rainforests that are being destroyed so that I can get on my phone. Um, it's my lifestyle, my consumerist lifestyle that's actually the problem. Livelihood has solutions. If someone is doing something just to survive, you can find a solution for that. If someone is doing something because it's convenient and it's a luxury statement, that's a much harder beast to actually deal with because it means me making a conscious choice and changing who I am to change my lifestyle. And that's always the bigger challenge. And local communities do what they have to do simply because they're trying to survive. And in most parts of the world, and this has been proven by science, most of the most extraordinary biodiverse habitats that we have are still in indigenous lands, not even in protected lands. So this notion that there is someone other, like I point my finger and go, he or she is the problem without doing that and going, I am part of this problem. And you know, I need to step up and change first. And then, you know, we can work together to try and change things. So this is a very important, uh, big realization that came to me through the course of my work as a journalist is this notion that I had of me being a conservationist and saving the world. It's so arrogant uh, because, <clears throat> you know, that precludes the idea that I am part of the problem and I constantly am blaming someone else for it. And that just doesn't work. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I really feel that this is a very, very important uh, thing for most people to know. 80% of the problems on this planet are in terms of climate change, in terms of all the big challenges that we have is 70 companies. Um, but we're all so busy pointing fingers at each other and, and fighting with each other and doing all of this that we forget that we can come together and fight with our wallets and vote with our wallets and with our opinions and change life for the better and do something about it. So I think it's this lifestyle and livelihood was a very, very important uh, thing for me to understand, yeah. I completely agree, which is why I wanted you to talk about it. That was incredibly important. And it also showcases what I would say is both empathy and consciousness, a willingness to step way above these issues and separate the, the wheat from the chaff, if you will. And I just really, that was, I couldn't not let you not talk about that. So thank you for that, Swati. Time for a short break. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Swati Theagarajan, a conservationist, 
documentary filmmaker and environmental journalist. She is the associate producer of the Oscar-winning documentary My Octopus Teacher and also produced the Animal Communicator featuring Anna Breitenbach, who is an interspecies communicator. We've been talking about her, her perspective on conservation. After the break, we're going to hear more about My Octopus Teacher, the film she is an associate producer of. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining the program today, my guest is Swati Thiagarajan. She is a core member of the Sea Change Project in South Africa and an environmental editor at the Indian television network called NDTV. She's the author of the book, Born Wild, Journeys into the Wild Hearts of India and Africa. She joins today from Cape Town, South Africa. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So now I have to tell you, of course, you already know this, but because we had this great conversation, but the whole reason we're even sitting together here, Swati, is that I found my octopus teacher last fall, thanks to a friend who know I'm all, who knows all about meaning and purpose. I watched it, and, and then I watched it again. I thought, this is so amazing. I was having, at that time, conversations with a woman named Ellie Tahar in New Zealand. Um, she and I began speaking some time ago during the pandemic, and she is just amazing. She's the founder of The Conscious Trader in New Zealand. And I told her, have you seen that? Have you seen this film? And she's like, yes, I have. It's amazing. And I said, I want to talk with somebody from that organization. It's so amazing. I want to somehow connect and bring it to the world. And she said, true Ellie fashion, let me see what I can do. <laughs> and she finds you. And she finds you. And the three of us have this great conversation one Saturday morning, 10 a.m. my time in Dallas. That afternoon, whatever it was, 6 p.m. or so, your time in South Africa, the next morning in, in on Sunday in New Zealand, and talk about this. And I think it's just so amazing, right? So that's how this whole magic happened. So thank you again, Ellie Tahar. So when we go to the film, I told you when we first met that one of the big things that I, I keep going back to this film, Swati, there's so much in it, there's so much to take from it, is I keep going back, and as I said, I've seen it eight times now, and I will keep, I'll continue watching it, but... The thing that I took away first and foremost is that our natural world, for me, this is what I got, is our spirituality. It's a really our ultimate religion in many ways. And I don't remember what you and I talked about when I brought that that point to you, but would you comment on that perspective and if that's at all close to what you were trying to showcase or how it lands for you? So I think really with the film, um, it was kind of like taking... So what we really wanted to showcase was connection. And mm. I think we wanted to showcase love. And um, we wanted to showcase how that love and connection in nature, all three together can save your life, save 
your health, your uh, the way you are. Um, because as I said, there's this whole idea of the nature's mirror. You know, it holds up this mirror to you. And I think so through Craig's personal journey, um, when he was going through the challenges that he was going through with burnout and anxiety and depression and not feeling at the time, because you feel so exhausted when you're going through those things and you feel very shut down and you feel like you can't, like you're in this gray space and you can't really reach out uh, and, and and do things. Um, and I think, it, it, you know, he, for him at the time, it was important to be able to recharge and reconnect, especially with uh, his family. That was me and my son, especially his son. And, um, you know, because he had this great relationship with his kid. But in that time, in that, in that time when he was feeling what he was feeling, he didn't feel like he could be a great father. And I think... Also not feeling that well uh, physically and, and to be able to go into that environment, to be able to be in that cold water and then to have the experiences that he had and then to have that relationship with the octopus, it just, it changed his life. It changed all our lives and it changed how uh, we looked at the world because then the big question you have to ask yourself is if a human can fall in love with a mollusk and a mollusk can trust a human, then what other wonderful things are actually possible um, you know, in life and in the world. Um, and in a way, I guess, if you looked at religion, and if religion is something that is just, that gives you a certain mental and spiritual strength, uh, that gives you a kind of uh, shining thread to hold on to in the middle of what is a pretty chaotic world that we've created around ourselves um, and a pretty chaotic time that we are in right now with this pandemic. Um, and if it can give you that um, foundation, if it can bring you a certain level of comfort, if it can make you believe that things will be okay and that life will go on and that um, you just need to have faith and step forward. Um, if religion can do that for you, then if you equate that with what nature does for you, I think it's pretty similar because that's really what nature does is it always fills you with possibilities. It always shows you that no matter what life finds a way, it always shows you that there's so much that is out there that is so much bigger than you and beyond you, but yet you're still a very important part of it. Um, so it's not separate to you, you know. So again, we come back to that sense of belonging, that sense of connection, that sense of knowing that this is home. Um, and that, um, you know, as, as, as bad as things get, uh, we still have a chance to fix things, to make it better, uh, you know, to come together to do something in order to just make life for future generations better. Um, yeah, so I think that's that's really what the film was very much trying to say was that wild places and wild animals are precious, uh, that this is your true design and true home and that you belong and that um, a connection, love is really as cliched as it sounds, the best way forward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got all of that. It's so beautiful. And and the other thing that I got to that you're, you're that I think you're speaking to, but again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, is what I also got from watching your husband Craig interact with it with the octopus and really just tell her story and help us understand her, is I got this beautiful tender interdependence that we all have together. And maybe that's the connection you're talking about. And actually, ultimately, this this large ultimate intelligence of the universe that we all are a part of, and that we we are impacted by it and that we also impact and affect. That was also very present for me. No, absolutely. So, um, you know, just, just in my own life, like so um, when I'm in a really good space and I'm feeling strong and healthy and, and I'm in a very good mental state and I'm out in nature, um, 
it's it's that's what comes right back at me you know all of the beauty the wonder the blooming flowers the the ocean the water the waves the animals i mean that that's what i feel and i see there are days when i'm not in that great a mood and i'm not feeling so good and and i'm not feeling maybe physically well then i find it much harder to to adapt to the cold and and to be in circumstances that may not be physically very comfortable it could be raining it could be windy it could be too hot um and those things sort of crowd into my mind and i find it harder to be in the moment uh but again that's the beauty with nature is that it she does to be there to, and then you have to push yourself past those things and then again you come back to that reset and that healing because to be in nature is to be very 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 present uh, you mm-hmm. have to pay attention to this moment you cannot be caught up in stuff that's happened you cannot be projecting into stuff that's going to happen you can't be running lists through your head about what you're going to do today or what tasks you have left or what deadlines you have to meet or what challenges that there are or just in general oh my god the world is a mess if you do all of that y- it you're going to actually in many many situations put yourself in in danger so in the ocean for example i need to be absolutely connected to the waves to the water to the animals that i'm seeing to the forest that i'm in and i have to be completely 100% engaged to be aware of my surroundings and that kind of connection that deep engagement where there's nothing else cluttering your brain um it's is a beautiful beautiful flow i guess it's what a lot of people can do with meditation for example and for me it 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 works in nature in that way um in a more profound way i feel like in nature so that is sort of like the connection that i am talking about which which is like it's it's so nurturing it's so healing because even if as i said for 15 minutes a day you can quiet everything else that's going on with you and just be in the moment and just feel and be present and be aware of your breath and your body and your skin and what you're seeing and life around you um it, it is incredibly healing mhm Yeah and I wonder what you've taught me so much already just in in your book and watching the 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 animal communicator and certainly my octopus teacher and you 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 another thing that you said in one of our conversations or I guess the one conversation we had is you used this what I consider to be a very alluring term called biological sentience and I wonder if that's partly what you're talking about here too this awareness and such but I also wonder if it's if there's something about this abilities untapped or maybe um not usually spoken about ability for us to as beings to be able to understand and sense each other I, help us understand this great phrase so every thing all life is sentience um all the plants that we see all the animals that we meet everything is deep sentience um it has deep sentience so when i made my animal communicator the movie the animal communicator um it was the extreme of what a human can do with that sentience you know the way anna is able to communicate with animals directly and get messages back from them directly mm-hmm. um that is the extreme form of that sentience uh for a lot of us unless we spend a lot of time in wilderness and train and learn to trust our intuition and spend the kind of time that anna has spent um in wilderness her life dedicated um doing what she does of course it's going to be much harder to either believe in that level of direct communication or be able to do it even if we believe because it's all practice at the end of the day you just get better with practice um but what 
is fact, is the fact that the sentience exists. You know that a tree, when it's being nibbled on by a giraffe, uh, when it's being over nibbled on, for example, the, will automatically release tannin into its leaves to make the leaves bitter mm. so that the giraffe will stop eating it. Now, mm. one tree doing that, you can say it's a biological defense. What's that got to do with sentience? You know, that could be just survival mechanism built into the tree so it doesn't get grazed down to a nub. But it's not just that one tree. Every other tree in that line of trees, in that grove, in that forest will release tannin because they know the minute the giraffe stops eating on this one, it's going to move to the next and the next. And they all release tannin. How do they know? Fig trees, you know, in, in India, for example, that feed the hornbills um, in, in seasons where the rains aren't going to be enough or it's going to be a dry season, the same tree of the same sexual maturity, which should all be flowering and blooming and fruiting at the same time, will stagger their fruiting so that the birds have enough food to eat for the entire season. And the reason for that, of course, is also biological in that the, these are the birds that eat the fruit and then disperse the seeds. So it's also the survival of the tree is built into that. But how do they all know and how do they stagger it so beautifully that some of them fruit now and then the next lot fruit and then the next lot fruit. And the fact is that they do that when they know that there's going to be a struggle and not a very um, nourishing season for them to fruit through the entire season uh, without the good rains. How do they know that? These are trees. And then we know there are scientists who've done wonderful work with the whole uh, fungal network work and the roots of tree systems, uh, hidden life of trees, you know, the mother tree and how she nourishes trees around her, how trees around a dead and dying tree will continue feeding nutrients to that tree to keep it alive. How by cutting one tree that we think is just a tree in a grove, we could actually be killing the grove if we've cut down the mother tree uh, who has all the knowledge and all the intelligence and all the biological experience of three, four hundred, five hundred years that she might have lived in that forest. So, it is, and I'm talking and I'm mentioning trees a lot because it's easier to believe perhaps that animals um, are more sentient. Any one of us who've had cats, dogs, any pet, uh, you know, we know that there is a personality there. We know that there is intelligence, intelligence there. You can't deny it. It just, you know. So when I'm right. talking about trees, I'm trying to explain it to people as in so sentience is in life around you and what that sentience should do. So you just tread on this world with a lot more compassion. Mm. Swati, that is just beautiful. We are out of time, but I want to give you the chance to be able to say in 15 seconds, what would you like to leave us with? Um, I guess just that, you know, just remember this, you belong. You're a child of this planet. You're the human animal. You are nature. It is not separate to you. Uh, this beautiful biosphere that we live in, which enables us to survive, survives because of biodiversity. Today, uh, the loss of biodiversity is at a staggering, staggering rate. And so educate yourselves. You know, every day that you wake up in the morning, every choice that you make can make a difference. So I guess it's as Dr. Jane Goodall says, what kind of difference are you going to make? Because you are impacting things and you are making a difference. So choose, you know, wisely. Um, I would say that that's really important. And I know we always say uh, we only live once and we should go out and do stuff. But actually, the fact is you die once, as a very great man said, but you live every day. And every day you have that choice and that opportunity to make a difference. Yeah. Swati, what a beautiful way to finish. Roma Nandri, as we say in Tamil, thank you very much for being my guest. It's so beautiful. You're very welcome. You. Thank you. And You're listeners and viewers, if you, you. you want to learn 
you're welcome, Swati. So beautiful. Thank you for just filling my cup all, all day and, and year. Um, if you want to learn more about Swati and the amazing work that she's doing, maybe the best way to, to find her is just going to the seachangeproject.com. That might be the easiest way to get to her. Let's thank our, our partnering sponsor, WorkProud, which helps companies build a platform where your workforce receives meaningful feedback. And thanks for the work from people across your company. Thanks for staying with us. Remember that work is at least a third of our lives. So see you next week for another episode. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose.